John, 1 John 5.19, wait, no, my slides too, says, and we know, and we know that we are children of God. Amen. And we know that we are children of God. Notice it doesn't say, and we feel. I want to tell you something before we talk about anything else. There are going to be days, sister, that you don't feel it. And it doesn't mean that anything's wrong. There are going to be days that you don't feel that you don't feel it. It doesn't say, and we always feel that we are children of God. It says, and we know. At some point we have to cling to what we know. I had a student once that came into my office. And she said to me, Dr. Day, you don't understand. I have prayed, and I have cried, and I have tried, and I don't feel anything. And I said, sweetie, who told you that you have to feel it? I said, if you were to come to my office every single day at eight or nine years old, and I was to draw a little line above your head, how long would it take for us to see that you've grown? How long have you prayed? She said, three months. <laughs> I said, baby, three months. If you were to come into my office every day at eight or nine years old, and I put a little line above your head on the wall, in three months, would we have seen that you've grown? Just so you know, it takes about six months to grow physically a single inch. Six months, maybe. 12 months, now we're talking. Two years, three years, four years, five years, 10 years. A relationship with God is a journey. Amen. And there is nothing wrong with you. My friend Annie F. Dunn says this. She says, um, I told her the other day that something was going on. And she said, hey, tell your feelings they can get in the car. Right? <laughs> your feelings can get in the car. She says, even let them pick the music. <laughs> your faith drives. Yes. One rule. Your feelings are not bad. They are indicators. They can sit in the car and they can pick the music. But our faith must drive. Yeah. We must know that we are children of God. Because here's the second part of that verse. Because all the world operates under the sway of the evil one. We must know that we are children of God because we are living in a world where everything is operating under the sway of the evil one. The, the indicator of the Christian life surrendered to God is not ease. Sometimes we think if it's not easy, if I'm not feeling it, then something's broken. Nothing's broken. You are living in a sinful world where everything is operating under the sway of the evil one. So tell your feelings they can get in the car. Faith drives tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, first and foremost, that you would forgive me of my own sin. We always say, Lord, fill the place. Of course you want to fill the place. The only thing that prevents you from moving in us and, and swarming us and surrounding us in the ways that you would like is ourselves. And so, God, forgive me of my sin. May nothing separate me from you in this moment. And, God, I'm going to collectively ask that you were corporately forgive all of us of our sins. If there's anything our church is missing, it's repentance, Father. And so we come before you, and I, I just ask you, God, to forgive us and then fill us up. Let something be born here. May we decide what we know to be true, even if we don't feel it. May we be children of God, and may we try to live a faithful, surrendered life in a world where it feels like everything is operating under the sway of the evil one. In your name, amen. Amen. Hagar is an Egyptian slave. She is Sarah's slave whom she gives to Abraham as a way of trying to fulfill the covenant of God to make Abraham a great nation. Does it sound familiar? Sometimes God will give us a promise and year one goes by and year two goes by and year three and eventually what happens is we say, I'm just going to fulfill this myself. God is not late. Sometimes we are too early. 
If you've been waiting on something, there's nothing wrong. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean that God has left you. I want you to get rid of those thoughts. It's not true. Scripture is filled with people who waited. There is nothing wrong. May we wait on the Lord. Genesis 16, 6 says, And when Sarai dealt with her harshly, she fled from his presence. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply. He's talking, by the way, to the, to the bondwoman. He's talking to the slave. And he says to Hagar, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your afflictions. The name Ishmael literally translates in the Hebrew to God listens. God says to Hagar, I want you to name him Ishmael. Because every time you call his name, I want you to remember what happened here in this desert. I want you to know, regardless of what you feel, I heard you. I heard you, Ishmael. God listens. By the way, did you know that your ears never stop hearing? Your ears never stop hearing. Even while you are asleep, you cannot turn off your ears. The name Ishmael in Hebrew translates to God listens. Psalm 94 verse 9, does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? If your ears, if your ears Never stop hearing, even while you are asleep. What do you think happens to God's ears? I want you to hear me. If your tiny, broken, sinful little ears never stop hearing, what do you think happens when you pray? He hears you. This is a life, I'm going to show you some, some sentences from Ellen White in a second that actually change my life. I read them probably three years ago. If you have a cell phone, I would take a, they are that good, what I'm going to show you. You will want to send them to yourself later. You want to send them to your family. Take a picture of the screen when I pull them up. If God is always listening, did you hear that? Ishmael, God listens. If God is always listening, maybe we should talk to him more. We have access, we are children of God, we have access to the creator of the universe. We have access to Jesus Christ. I, sometimes people talk like, oh, I'm so excited that this speaker is going to be here. I can't wait to go read from, we have access to Jesus Christ himself. He hears you. If God is always listening, maybe we should talk to him more. I'm going to read you some quotes now. These are from Auntie Ellen. You're going to want to take a picture of these. This is life-changing, okay? This one says this. This is from The Great Controversy. It says, angels record every prayer that is earnest and sincere. Could men see with heavenly vision, they would behold companies of angels that excel in strength, stationed about those who have kept the word of Christ's patience. With sympathizing tenderness, angels have witnessed their distress and have heard their prayers. Angels record every single prayer. He hears you. May you never stop praying. He hears you. Let's look at another one. Heavenly beings, I love this one, heavenly beings are appointed to answer the prayers of those who are working unselfishly for the interests of the cause of God. Do you catch this line? What's that say? Read it. The very, what? Highest angels in the heavenly courts are appointed to work out the prayers which ascend to God for the advancement of the cause of God. Each angel has a particular post of duty, which, by the way, he is not permitted to leave for any other place. Angels have nothing better to do than to work out the prayers that you send to the throne of God on behalf of your children. Do you hear me? You don't. I work with young people. I know the state of what's happening in our churches. It's like 60% of young people are leaving the church. Did you know that? Most of our students 
after they sit with me for four years will never come back. Here's what I want you to know. You do not stop praying for your children. He hears you. And the very, and when I pray now, I just picture this. I say, God, I know that you have this heavenly team that is put together to work out this prayer that I get to bring to your throne. Let me believe it as I say it. Ishmael, God listens. Ministering angels are waiting about the throne to instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ to answer every prayer offered in earnest living faith. Oh, that we could all realize, she says, the nearness of heaven to earth. When the earth-born children know it not, they have the angels of light as their companions. For the heavenly messengers are sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. Oh, that people would realize the nearness of heaven to earth. When our prayers seem not to be answered, we are to cling. This is what we're going to talk about in a second. We are to cling to the promise. We have to know even if we don't feel it. For the time of answering will surely come and we shall receive the blessings when we need it most. Prayer unites us with one another. By the way, when somebody comes to you and says that something is going on, I want you to practice not saying anymore, oh, I'll pray for you. Just do it. Just turn to them. And, th- and I want you to, this is why, okay? Why do we pray? We don't pray to tell God, God knows. We pray to involve him. One of what I believe is the beautiful things of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is that we have this doctrine of free will. We are Arminians, is what the theologians would call it. And so we, when we pray, that is you practicing surrendering your free will so that now God can act. And when you say to somebody else, can I pray with you? What happens if they say yes? You have now both surrendered your free will and God says, okay, now I can move. I'm not going to force myself on you, but if you invite me, let's go and the very highest angels get appointed to this work. May we not stop saying to people, I'm not just going to pray for you. If you will allow me, I would like to pray with you. Where two or more are gathered, there I shall be also. May we come to the throne together. Prayer brings Jesus to our side and gives to the fainting, perplexed soul new strength to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Prayer, what's that say? Prayer turns aside the attacks of Satan. So remember, we, ru- we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And there are absolutely times, and, and you might even say it to somebody, you say, it just feels like I'm under attack. You are. If it feels like it is so dark, Ellen might, she has this other quote where she says, the times that you, don't, you can't pray are the very times that you need to because you're under attack. And our prayers get to literally turn aside the attacks of Satan. The prayer of faith is the great strength of the Christian and will assuredly prevail against Satan. This is why he whispers in your ear and insinuates that you have no need of it. The name of Jesus, our advocate, he detests. And when we earnestly come to him for help, Satan's host is alarmed. It serves his purpose well if we neglect the exercise of prayer, for then his lying wonders are more readily received. Ishmael, God listens. Our Heavenly Father waits to bestow upon us the fullness of his blessing. It is our privilege to drink largely at the fountain of boundless love. Oh, I love this line. She says, what a wonder it is. She says, what a wonder. It is crazy, she says, that you would pray so little. Prayer is the great weapon of the Christian, and may we start activating it right here in our own lives, in the lives of our neighbors, in the lives of our sisters and our children. May we activate all of heaven. The Bible says in Luke 15, 7, all of heaven rejoices when even one sinner repents. All of heaven rejoices when even one sinner repents. My prayer is that this weekend we will give them something to make some noise about. Amen. 
Hagar is an Egyptian slave and mother of Ishmael, father of the Arab race. Hagar is the first person, by the way, in the Bible to be visited by the angel of the Lord. Her baby is the first person in scripture to be named in the womb. And God forms a relationship with this bondwoman so much so that she actually is the first person in scripture to name God. She calls him the living one who sees me. There is a living one who sees you. There is a living one who hears you. Our talk tonight is titled, Let Me Loose. I don't know about you, but I have a God to serve. So devil, you're going to have to let me loose. I have a family to protect, so you're going to have to let me loose. I have a Sabbath to keep, so stress and burdens let me loose. Each of us is a bond woman. All of the world operates under the sway of the evil one, but we get to proclaim through prayer, there is a living one who sees me, Ishmael, God listens, let me loose let me loose. Okay, so if you've never heard me speak before, here's what I typically do. I will read through our text, and then I'll go back and go through it line by line. So Genesis 21, 15 through 16, it says, and the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Now Hagar has fled back. She is, Abraham sends her away this time. And remember, earlier we see in Genesis that God makes her a promise. He says, you're, you're, he's going to still be the father of many nations. I will bless your son. And here she is, cast out. Remember, this was a slave. This wasn't her choice. She never wanted to be a part of this. And now here she finds herself cast out in the dirt of the desert. One of the the hardest things, I don't know if you've ever had to say it, one of the hardest things that I've ever said is, God, I thought you were going to. God, I believed that you would. And now here I sit in the dirt of the desert. What do I do from here? That's where Hagar is at. It says, and the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she, so she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called out to Hagar and said, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. We're going to go back to the beginning now, verse 15. And the water in the skin was used up. You ready to be honest? You ready to be honest? Have you ever felt like God has used you up? My mother used to say to me, fix your face. (laughs) We're going out now. Fix your face. Let me tell you something. With God, you never have to fix your face. You can show up. With God, you can show up broke. You can show up angry. You can show up bitter. You can show up broken. With God, the only goal is to show up. That's it. You don't believe me. I I see some of you like, I don't know if that's biblical. It's biblical. It's scriptural. scriptural. Let me tell you one of my favorite passages in scripture is um, Naomi and Ruth. And they say that everybody in Jerusalem says, oh my goodness, look, it's Naomi. She's back. And Naomi turns to them and says, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which in Hebrew means bitter. She says, call me bitter. She says, I left here full and God, she calls him out. She says, God brought me back empty. And you want to know what happens? It's going to, oh my goodness, it just makes me want to weep. God answers a bitter woman's prayer. 
Hannah is in the temple and she has not been pregnant. She hasn't had a child. And it says that she weeps in the bitterness of her spirit and God answers a bitter woman's prayer. I want you to trust me on this. You can show up broken. You can show up angry. You can show up bitter. With God, you never have to fix your face. He can take it. You just say, I don't even know how I'm going to do this, God, but I'm going to show up. And I'm going to ask you and invite you into my heart and into my life again. And the very highest angels, the second that you say it, move. And I want you to picture it from now on. The very highest angels, right to your side. That is the access that the Christian has. May we never forget. May we never forget what access we have to Christ. Isaiah 12, 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. John 7, 38 says, Whoever believes in me, out, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isaiah 44, 3 says, For I will... Pour, I, is this the one? Yeah, okay, this is one of my favorite ones. For I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit, my spirit on who? who? This promise does not have an expiration date on your life. This promise is good for your kids. Some of you, you don't even know it. Some of you are only sitting here right now because grandma never stopped praying. God says this promise is not just about you. I will pass it on to your children. Don't stop praying. John 4.14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water flowing up to eternal life. Verse 15, and the water in the skin was used up. Hagar is thirsty. And God is about to give this bondwoman a drink of living water. It reminds me of the story of the woman at the well, who is also in a desert and is also thirsty. She has shown up thirsty, John 4, 7 through 10. By the way, that's where we get our whole um, theme for this weekend. One of my favorite verses in, in John, it says, uh, I'm, I'm giving away the end, but you guys know the story. And everyone in the city believed because of the word of the woman who testified. And everyone in the city, everyone in your school will believe because of the word of the, everyone in your office place will believe because of the word of the woman. The, the word of women has power. I want you to believe it. We're gonna, I'm going to show you, I'm going to spend all day tomorrow going through what God created you to be in Eden. When God created woman, he had a very specific thing in mind, and I can't wait to show you in scripture what that is tomorrow. I venture to guess in tomorrow night's message, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet you, you've never heard what I'm gonna tell you before, and it changes everything about the gospel. It shows that Christ has been beautiful and kind and merciful since the very beginning. But we often don't read scripture that way. And we'll talk about it in a second. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus tells the woman to go and get her husband, and she says, I have no husband. So you read this, and, and because we have our, our predetermined ideas of who God is, we read this and we say, wow, God is kind of cold, right? You read this story. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, if you've let yourself do that, but you read it and you're like, that's like mean. Why would he already knows? Why would he say that to her? God often grows our faith by confronting our greatest points of pain. You want to know you want to know what can totally transform your relationship with God. You're not going to want to hear it. I'm going to say it anyway. 
You wanna know what can, can transform your relationship with God? Disappointment. But also what breaks our relationship with God is disappointment. It's never the disappointment. It's how we respond to it. It's whether we keep showing back up. Every time I read this story, I saw God as confrontational. I saw him as angry. And that's because if whoever got the book Words Change the Brain, you'll read about this in Words Change the Brain. I want you to, to know this. 72% of Christians see God as critical, as authoritarian, and distant. That's us. He's a good, good father. It's who you are. It's what we sing, but we don't believe it. We don't believe it for ourselves, and we pass on this bad theology to our kids. I know because they sit in my office and they say, I can't even stomach to hear. I, I just had a student this week that I went on a walk with, struggling with self-harm, and he said, honestly, God has been used in my life in such manipulative ways to even hear the name. It feels like I'm walking with a rock in my shoe. You have no idea what has happened to the person that you're saying, oh, they don't believe. You have no idea what they've been through. You have no idea what abusive, toxic, manipulative ways God has been used over that person. God, there's a living one who sees them. Ishmael, he hears them. 72% of us believe that God is critical and angry and distant. I'm telling you, when I speak anywhere, I'll, t I'll just tell you ahead of time what my goal is. It is to change that. I just want you to see through scripture that God is love. And that's the mess. When you mess up, you don't have to run away from him. You go directly to him. God has never demanded your righteousness. God provides you righteousness. When we mess up, we go straight to the source. Lee Vendon, I went to his evangelistic series once, and he said, being in a relationship with God is like getting inside of an elevator. And he said, what happens if you fall down inside of an elevator? Nothing. Nothing. If you fall down in your relationship with God, all that happens is he says, geez, that looked like it hurt. When you're ready, would you like to stand back up? The only way to get out of a relationship with God is if you say, I want out of here. He, God never leaves you. He says it. God never leaves you, but he will respect, the Adventist church believes, your free will to walk out of the relationship. So you stay in that relationship. The, the apostles, you guys, like, never get this right. Literally, they're walking around with Jesus Christ for some three years, and they say things like, we saw them casting out demons, so will you pour fire from heaven and just burn them up? That's what they say to Christ. And he's like, whoa, how much longer do I have to be with you? He's like, that's not, that you guys are missing the point. God is love. Oh, let me tell you this too. And this is from, I think, God, uh, God changes the brain. Here's why this matters, by the way. Here's why I'll spend the rest of my life just telling people that God is love. You ready for this? Neuroscience shows the God you believe in is the God you become. The God that you worship is the God you become. So here's how this works. When you, at your core, believe that God is angry and critical and judgmental and distant, we have churches filled with angry, judgmental, critical, and distant people who are no longer reflecting the very image of God whose name they say they are upholding. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. May we not break that commandment, right? Every single person is made, I want you to hear this, sister. Every single person is made in the image of God. Every person is made in the image of God. You respect the image of God when you show love and kindness to the people around you. You directly disrespect the image of God when you show anger and wrath and judgment towards the people around you. 72% of Christians see God as angry, authoritarian, and distant. By the way, so we read that into the text. 
And this is why I personally believe we need more women studying scripture because we will notice these things, especially when it comes to women. In first century Palestine, a woman could not initiate a divorce except in extremely rare circumstances. Therefore, the Samaritan woman's five former husbands must have all either divorced her or died. That's not how we tell the story, though. This is a broken woman who God has seen being used up and left and abandoned over and over and over. And he says, I see you. In fact, I've waited all day at this well just for you. At the hottest part of the day, he meets with her. The text, by the way, in John 4 is the longest conversation Jesus has with any woman in all of Scripture, in all of the Gospels. Many scholars believe a female missionary probably evangelized Samaria, and there were many Samaritan members in the diverse community for whom John's Gospel was written. And everyone in the city believed because of the word of the woman who testified. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. She left the very thing she thought she was coming for because she found in Christ something so much better. Hagar is thirsty. And God is about to give this bondwoman a drink of living water. Verse 16 says, Then she went and sat down across from him at the distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted, lifted her voice and wept. Have you ever placed yourself in the direct opposite position of God's promise for you because you said, I can't watch it die anymore? This is the child that God promised her would be the father of many nations. He promised her he would bless him. And she says, I can't even, I can't. I can't even watch it anymore. And so I'm going to turn my back because I can't even watch it anymore. What is that thing in your life that you've said, maybe it's your marriage. I can't even watch it anymore. Maybe it's whatever calling God has put on your heart that he's told you, I have this for you. And you've turned your back. You say, I can't even... I, I can't even go there, God. It's painful at this point to even think about it anymore. I want you to see what God ends up saying to Hagar about that thing. But by the way, if you feel like you've been waiting on God to show up, you are in really good company. And I'm very, this is what my book, It's Not Your Turn, is all about. Essentially, the entire book just says this, who you are when it's not your turn is actually more important than who you will be when it is. It is very easy to show up when everybody claps for you. That's easy. That doesn't take character and that doesn't take integrity. I believe God is looking for a generation of people who will show up if nobody cared whether you walked out. You're showing up because there's this calling on you. There's this purpose for you. You just believe it and you feel it. Moses waits for 40 years in Egypt before he decides he can't watch it anymore. And I want you to like just, we read it and we flip a page. Moses is the same person who, as a baby, gets put in this little basket and angels guide the basket through the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and raises him in the palace. If there is anybody who believed God's going to do something, it's Moses. And yet Moses waits. Do you catch that? I want you to hear me. Ease is not the determining factor on whether or not God is present in your life. If that were true, we would read really easy stories. Joseph finds himself in a pit, and it's not his fault. Joseph waits, it's like 17 years. David waits 13 years. Sarah waits 11 years to have a child. The disciples flee from, you guys, Jesus waited. Jesus, God himself, waits 30 years before preaching a single sermon. Who do we think we are to think, that, well, there's something wrong or it's broken if it's not happening? No, there is a, listen, there's a process. We love a product as a, as a culture. God loves a process. And we read stories like Moses, and we think that, we, if you've watched the movie The Ten Commandments, my students haven't even watched it. I'm hoping... 
Have you guys seen the movie, The Ten Commandments? It was, yes, okay. In the movie, Moses stands at the Red Sea and he raises his staff and the water parts and it's beautiful, except that's not what happened. That's not what scripture says happened. What scripture says actually happened is God sends a great wind and it takes all night. What he could have done in a moment, he chooses to do in a process. We love a product. God values the process because here's the thing. You don't come out of the process the same person. God can change your circumstances in a moment. Are you kidding me? He can change it in a moment. What he cannot change because you have to surrender it is you. And so in mercy and tenderness, he will walk with us on longer journeys that form our character. Be faithful with whatever is in your hand. Be faithful with what God has put into your hand. Not a single one, Joshua 21, 45 says, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. I remain, I will, I will walk around my, and words change the brain. It talks about how the words we say. So here's the thing about your brain. Your brain can't distinguish the difference between fact or fantasy. Did you know that? Be very careful what you say. Your brain can't distinguish the difference between fact or fantasy. So when you say, I think he's cheating on me, your brain does not know that you're being dramatic. Your brain treats that as if it's a real threat. It becomes as real, words change the brain says, as the ground that you're standing on. I kind of believe that the reason God wants us to read scripture and know scripture is not to make you more holy, but to guard your brain with the promises of God. There are over 3,500 promises available to you in scripture. Over 3,500 promises of God are available to you in scripture, but your brain cannot distinguish promises that you haven't read. And so I want you to say out loud, because once I say it, it's as real as the ground I'm standing on. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We have to claim it, and we have to pray it, and we say these things out loud. And Moses, when it's time, the Red Sea does part. By the way, Moses is 80. Don't you dare tell me that there's an expiration date on the promise over your life. He's 80. Do you think Moses, had th- this is why at the burning bush, he's like, forget it. Like, send someone else. It surely can't be me. And God says, no, it's you. And it's not about you, right? And my glory will be seen all the more through you. Are you ready? Sarah waits 11 years and the disciples wait. Jesus himself waited. God's promises are always kept, but on God's watch, not yours. We say, I trust you, but take my watch. Keep my appointments. You're late. God's not late. You may be early. And I want you to, here's what I need you to understand. When you walk as if you are going somewhere, it changes the way you walk. When you believe that God has a promise over your life, it matters because it changes the way you live your life. You start living your life as if, some, as if you're going somewhere, as if it matters. Your life matters. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. God will hear you where you are. Fear not, God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. You don't have to fix your face. He hears you right where you are. And when you're ready, just let out your hand and say, I'm ready to go on this journey with you. And God says, wonderful. Let's do this. Let's walk together. You aren't saved based on your righteousness. You are saved by God's righteousness. This is for some reason something that I don't know where the blame lies, but at some point for years, I could not accept this. I really lived a life trying to earn God's affection and trying to earn God's approval, and it was exhausting, and I was never good enough. Kim and I just had this conversation at lunch. This is the entire Sermon on the Mount, just so you know. When Jesus, by the way, he waits 30 years to preach a single sermon, and this is what he says five times. You have heard it said, but I say to you, 
he takes everything that they thought they knew and he flips it. And right there at the Sermon on the Mount, they say, we're going to have to crucify him. There is no, he literally says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, he who even looks at a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is saying to them, and it's, and by the way, this is radical. You're talking to people who have ceremonial ways of even washing their hands. They had a rule for everything. And if you just keep the rules right, you'll make it. God says you can keep all the rules and you still won't make it. That's the Sermon on the Mount. You can keep all the rules and you still won't make it because it's, I want you to hear me, it's not about the rules. This is a hard one for an Adventist to take in, so I'm going to hang on it for a second. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says it's not about the rules. You can't earn your righteousness. I provide it to you. And what does he say? Blessed are are those who are poor in spirit. The word he uses there for poor in spirit in the Greek, it it means to be spiritually bankrupt. It means to be a spiritual beggar. God says, blessed are the spiritual beggars. Blessed are the people who are willing to stand up and say, I bring nothing to this relationship. And this relationship has never been about what I will give God. It's always been about what God will give me. And God says, what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do we get to heaven? We just recognize that we bring nothing to the relationship and we are in need of a savior. You don't have to be a savior because we have one. That's the gospel. That's the covenant. And it is so beautiful. And please do not block somebody who is crying out for help to Jesus. We will be held accountable for the people that the people who trip over us on their way to God. That's a problem. May we be a church, may they know we are Christians by what? Guys, it's stupid simple. We have overcomplicated it. It is stupid simple. May they know we are Christians by our love. When I say, by the way, that God is love, I'm not just being like poetic. That is literally the covenant. Do you you guys know the commandments? The, ten, the law, when, it said, when David says, I meditate on thy law day and night, he's talking about the covenant. You know what the, the Ten Commandments are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, or no, um, love to God, right? Love to God, love to God, love to God, love to God. That's the first four. Last six, love to man, love to man. Thou shalt not kill, love your fellow brother. Thou shalt not lie, love each other. Thou shalt not covet. I'm asking you to love each other. This is why when the Jewish leader says to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love man. That's the covenant that the church is supposed to keep. We are supposed to fully love God and fully respect the image of God in the person next to us. And of course, what does the lawyer say? He says, and who is my neighbor? And then God, Jesus tells the stories, the story of the Good Samaritan. Essentially what Jesus does is he says, who's your neighbor? The Jews hated the Samaritans. They hate, that's why when he says to the woman at the well, she says, why are you even talking to me? Jews don't talk. They called Samaritans dogs. There's racism in the text. You miss it because we don't understand that culture. There's racism in the text. God says, who's your neighbor? Whoever you hate the most. I want you to figure out how to confirm the image of God in that person. That's the covenant. Love God, love man. May we, do you hear me Republicans? (laughs) Do you hear me Democrats? All the the Democrats laughed, ha ha ha. Do you hear me Democrats? Mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. You guys, the devil is so busy. I want you to hear me. All he has to do is divide the church because then we break the covenant. You can disagree. You are allowed to disagree. What you are not allowed to do as a Christian is stop affirming the image of God in your neighbor. It matters. And that is why I say as a church, We, all of us, this is not a Republican problem. This is not a Democrat problem. This is not an atheist problem. This is a world problem. We are not doing well at loving one another. This is the loneliest generation in U.S. history, by the way. 
my, my young people, I tell them, you know, studies show that this generation, Generation Z, scores 10 points lonelier. I see some young people here. Generation Z scores 10 points lonelier than even senior citizens. We are so isolated from one another. We are so, you ask millennials, that's my generation, how many people do you feel like truly know you? Guess what the average answer is? We have stopped affirming the image of God in our neighbor, and we have to repent for that. And you don't know, have to know how to fix it. You just say, God, I need help. I need help to fix this. And God says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessed are those who know that they bring nothing to this relationship and wait for me to bring something to the relationship. It is his righteousness, not ours. God always keeps the covenant with himself. This is the beauty. This is why I love talking about God. L literally, do you know, do you understand the whole reason God has to be born through the personhood of Jesus Christ is to keep the covenant with himself? Do you understand that? The second Adam sins, this is what we're going to walk through all day tomorrow. The second Adam sins, scripture says that Adam and Eve were the rulers of this world. It says the heavens were God's and that earth he gave to the children of men. Adam breaks the covenant. He doesn't fully love God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And then the first thing he does after he breaks the covenant with God is he says, the woman that you gave me, he turns on, on his wife. That's a breaking of the covenant. God never, I want you to hear this too. God never sacrifices others to save self. Christ always sacrificed self to save others because that's the covenant. At the crucifixion, they said to him, if you are who you say you are, why don't you get down? Because he was who he said he was. He would never get down. Christ never sacrificed others to save self. He always sacrificed self to save others. May we, as a church, start reflecting the very image of God. We have got to figure out how to love each other. So Christ, Adam fails, Abraham fails, Moses fails. And so God says, you know what I'm going to do? I will be born a man, Lucifer. Because Lucifer, that's why it says that earth, it, all the world operates under the sway of the evil one. Once Adam fails, Lucifer says, I get the throne of earth. That's why he shows up in Job. In this, I didn't mean to even talk about this. But, okay, in the story of Job, right? Joe, there, there, it says that God calls a meeting with the heads of the world. And who walks in to represent earth? Lucifer. And God literally says to him, from whence do you come? He's saying, what are you doing here? Who are you representing? I'm having a meeting with the heads of the earth. Why are you here? And Lucifer says, are you kidding? I'm here to represent earth. They look just like me. And this is beautiful. And so God points to a single person. He points to Job. And he says, Job is a righteous man. The only evidence we have for Job's righteousness is that he never stops interceding on behalf of his children. He prays, it says he prays day and night and offers sacrifices on behalf of his children. So Job is counted as a righteous man. And God says to Lucifer, you think you represent all of earth? What about Job? Job looks just like me. And Lucifer says, the only reason he looks like you is because you put a hedge around him. In other words, you're paying him off. Of course he's going to do what you want. You're paying him off. You move your hedge and he will curse you to your face. And what is the story of Job? This, by the way, is why every Christian, we will walk through suffering. That's the only promise we get. We will walk through suffering because our relationship with God is not about what he does for us. It's about God. Job says, though he slay me, yet shall I trust in him. There's a covenant, and we see it right there in the story of Job. God becomes a man to redeem humanity to himself. He has to be born as a man and die as a man and keep the covenant the whole way in between. And that's how there's victory over the devil. You are no longer the head of this world. Now, God, we get to be children of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful story and we need to know it. Verse 18, arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand for I will make him a great nation. There are over 200 times that scripture says to arise. God tells Jonah to arise. He tells Lot to arise. He tells Moses to arise, Joshua to arise, the paralytic to arise, the little girl to arise and to Hagar arise. God will bring us into our promises but we have to first commit to standing back up. We have to commit to saying, okay, I'm going to stand back up and I'm going to, what does the scripture say? A righteous man 
falls down seven times, but gets up eight. And a wicked man falls once, and he stays down. Righteous people in scripture fall more than wicked people. But the difference between the righteous and the wicked is the righteous keep getting back up. This is for somebody, get back up. You can take a moment, you can breathe, you can grieve, but when you're ready, let's get back up. God is still in the elevator. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. What, is, what does Hagar have to do? I think this is really powerful. It's not just that she has to get up. He actually says to her, the promise that you've turned your back on, I want you to pick it up again. I want you to pick up that thing that you think is dead. I want you to pick up that thing that you can't look at anymore. I want you to pick up that thing that you said, I thought God was going to. I want you to pick it up, and I want you to hold it in your hands, and I want you to believe. I want you to believe again. May we walk like we're going somewhere. Let me tell you, your anointing begins the day you believe you have one. When I teach a class, you guys, I'm going to teach that class. Listen, I don't care if my students are asleep when I walk in. Before I walk into every class, I say, Lord, help me to teach this class as if it's the most important thing I will ever do with my entire life. And when a student knocks on my door, I put my phone away and I say, God, let me to talk to this student as if it's the most important thing I'm ever going to do with my life because I believe there's an anointing on my life. I'm not special. There's a priesthood of all believers. Every person in this room, once we commit to walking with God, has an anointing on your life. And we get to literally reclaim, that's what Job did. He reclaimed territory for the kingdom of God. We get to literally walk in rooms and reclaim territory. We get to pray over our churches and reclaim territory for the kingdom of God. Let us walk like we're going somewhere. I'm telling you, people say to me all the time, how do you reach young people? And I say, I believe it. I'm telling you, when you believe something, people will look at you. And you've all known this. You've, had, you've talked to somebody. And the way they look, it's like, man, either they're crazy. <laughs> That's true. Either they're crazy or it's true. I want the church, I believe God wants the church, to start talking to people like they believe it. We have to believe this story. We ha and if you don't, that's okay, because it's not about your righteousness. Just say to God, help me believe it. I, I say this to God all the time. Faith is not mine. Do you know that? It's not like Heather just has great faith. I pray, God, help me build my faith. Faith is something I give back to God after experiences that he has given me. It is okay if right now you say, I feel faithless. Okay, so pray, God, give me experiences where you can build my faith. Let me stand on that rock, and then I'll walk to the next one. Give me experiences where you can build my faith that I may give it back to you. We have to believe that there's an anointing on our lives. Nobody's going to believe it if you don't believe it. Why is the church not storming the gates of hell right now? I don't know if we believe it. We have got to start believing. Guys, when you pray, I need you to believe somebody hears you. He hears you. Ishmael, God listens. Moses had to hold it. Sarah had to hold it. The disciples had to hold it. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and she gave the lad a drink. Five times in scripture it says, Abraham believed God and what? Again, something happens when you believe it. You walk like you're going somewhere. It is counted unto us as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Your righteousness comes when you believe the promises God has given you and you start walking with what's in your hand. We have to be faithful to whatever is in your hand. Martin Luther King, there's this fantastic quote where he's talking, it's one of his last speeches, he's talking to a high school graduation. And he says, if you are a street sweeper, if that's it, 
If the most you ever do in your life is be a street sweeper, Martin Luther King Jr. said, then you sweep those streets with so much passion and so much intentionality and so much belief that all of heaven stops and marvels and says, oh my goodness, look at the street sweeper. If you are a teacher, may you teach those kids with so much passion and so much intentionality and so much belief that all of heaven has to stop and say, look at this kindergarten teacher, she's We've got to be faithful to the things that God has put in our hands. We have to believe your anointing begins the day you believe you have one. Blessed will be those who believe that God will keep his word to them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I know Hagar was thirsty and the woman at the well was thirsty. And if you are thirsty, there is a way to give yourself a drink. We must Believe again, for I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit not just on you. This promise is good to your children, and my blessing will be on your descendants. We can believe again. We can believe again. I want to show you this beautiful note as we close. It's, I, I think it's really good. In verse 16, it says that Hagar placed Ishmael at the distance of about a bow shot, right? So when she's giving up and she's turning her back, it says in scripture, she places him the distance of about a bow shot. Let's read this, verse 20, it says, So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, and he became what? It is so, she, she places him the distance of a bow shot because she says, I can't watch it anymore. And he will grow up to become an archer. Guess what? Ishmael the archer will be able to close the very same gap that was once her greatest point of pain. <coughs> we can believe again. We believe because he'll keep the covenant with himself. I don't know what you are within a bow shot of, but God will keep the covenant with you and he will close the gap on all your points of pain. And hear me, what he does, Ellen White has this really beautiful quote, I should really start putting it in this message, where she says this, that at the resurrection, at the resurrection, she says, your guardian angel will be there the second you wake up. And she says, he will walk you through, or whatever, spirit, probably genderless, they will walk you through everything that you feel right now, God, you disappointed me, God, you left me. She says, angels will walk you through every single choice God made in your life. And she says, you wouldn't have changed a thing. God, everything that doesn't happen here, he will make new in heaven. And the truth is, this life is but a few pages. We are going to be in heaven for an eternity. How long? If you live 80 years that are horrible, and I'm not minimizing it, some of us have gone through horrible things. Here's the beauty of God. We have all of eternity to talk to him about it. If you live 80 horrible years, how long will you be angry with God over that in heaven? 80 years? 100 years? 200 years? You want 500 years? He'll give it to you. You will talk it through with your creator. He will walk you through every single thing. And you will see what was happening in the great controversy of your life. And Ellen White says you wouldn't have changed a thing. God will keep the covenant with himself. Satan is trying to tangle you in bondage to the lie that God will not do what he told you he would do in your life. But he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. Satan knows your belief in God's plan for you is accounted unto you as righteousness. Each of us is a bondwoman to our own disbelief that God will be as good as we once believed he was. And so tonight, may you say, let me loose. I have a mission to start walking towards. So devil, you have got to let me loose. 
I have a family to raise, let me loose. I have a church to serve, let me loose. God is looking, and everyone in the city believed because of the word of the woman who testified. There is power in your words. There is an anointing over your life. May you, ne- may you believe it. May you just believe it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit will now dwell. I pray that whatever tiny seeds are planted, you will water. I pray that right here, Lord, this world is so dark. People everywhere say, where is God? You have always been invisible because you choose to be seen through the image of your people. When people say, where is God? That is not an indictment on you. That is an indictment on us. May we start reflecting the image of God in our families, in our churches, in our office spaces, in our lives. God, may something be born. This world is dark and people just need hope. May women in this room commit to strengthening the hands of the people around them. May we walk into rooms like we were called to be there. May our anointing begin today because we believe we have one. In your name, amen.